So I, I really, really love that because I got, I got two solid hours every day of pursuing God. And that was good. That was good stuff. God spoke some really, really deep stuff to me. I remember having several major encounters with the Holy Spirit where uh, he showed me really, really important things that I still think about now. It's awesome. And I used to, somebody would, would be in charge of the music, you know, down there. They would have to, because there weren't iPods, okay? There was no Spotify. So it was whatever CDs we had in the sound booth at the time, which thanks to the guy, one of the guys, there was always the most recent worship stuff there. And I, I used to like make paper airplanes and throw them down to whoever it was that was doing. I did. I would, I would write, I would write down like my song requests. Here, play, play, play these couple songs. And I would throw them down. Yeah. Well, it's not like I could text. We didn't do that. Texting didn't exist. So. You got a, it's a whole different world. Right? Okay. Where did we finish off last time? I was trying to figure that out. I think we, yeah, it's been a couple weeks. Um, did we talk about pure in heart last week, last time? Yeah. We did. Okay. But we, and we didn't get to peacemakers. Is that right? I don't think we did. I don't think we did. It's really, really good timing today, the day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, because that he's probably one of the greatest modern examples of what Jesus meant by peacemaker. So that's really fascinating that uh, maybe the Holy Spirit worked that out. But let's pray, shall we? I want to encourage you to close your eyes. Take a couple deep breaths. Become aware of your physical presence, of your body, of your of, of where you are.
make an intentional choice to be to become aware of the omnipresence of God Father, you are always present and at work. You surround us. You are within us. You pervade the atmosphere of this room even now. Awaken us in this moment to your activity, to your voice. Jesus, we invite you to confront assumptions we've made, to confront old ideas we've had. To shake up understandings that we've held on to, to knock our lenses off make us aware of the way that we have the frame that we have have perceived your word and our world through Prince of Peace, we say, let your peace blanket this room. Jesus, the Word of God says that you are our peace. You've made peace between us and God, and you have. You are the peace between us and God, and you are the peace between us and our brother, our sister, the people near us and around us. <coughs> they shall be called the sons of God. Why? Why are they called the sons of God? Okay. But what, what does that mean? Let's go to the next step. Okay. They're sons of God. Which means that they're like him. That's the idea. The idea is that the son carries something of the father forward. Okay? So if, you got, if Jesus says you're a child of God, what he's saying is you're bringing something of God into the world. Okay? So if you're a peacemaker and, you, and that means you're bringing something of God into the world, what does that say about God? He is a peacemaker. And there's a difference. You've got to understand that there is a difference between somebody who doesn't cause trouble and somebody who's a peacemaker. Those are not the same thing. Sometimes I think when we think peacemakers, we think, oh, I'm just not going to yell at anybody today. Or I'm going to, if you're, if you're an Enneagram 9 like myself, 
the way that we, we were actually called the peacemakers. That's what they call the Enneagram Nines. But the problem is the way that Enneagram Nines tend to try and make peace is by withdrawing themselves, their presence, and their opinion from the situation. In other words, by valuing the, the, the individuality of the others that are in the situation. <coughs> Which that's one thing nines are very good at, is recognizing and valuing the identities of others. Which is beautiful, that's the beautiful piece. The ugly piece is that we believe, honestly and truthfully, that the best way forward is for us to stop existing. To not have an opinion. To not interrupt your individuality with my own. And in that way, we're not peacemakers at all. Because that's not what a peacemaker does. Peacemaker does not step into the world as a non-existent, or, or step out of the world and become a non-existent being. A peacemaker steps in between people that are fighting. It's not just about being a person who doesn't fight with others. That's important too. But that's not a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who ends conflict, <coughs> often at their own expense. Okay? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is a beautiful example. He's a beautiful example. In fact, I just preached a sermon of his on Sunday morning. Because I want to honor this prophet of God, this peacemaker, this son of God. And I used this text, this text, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Ready? Here's how we know that Jesus is linking back to what he just said a minute ago so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Oh, go back and look. The only beatitude that says you will be sons of God is the peacemaker beatitude. That's the only one. The others say other things. You will see God, you will inherit the kingdom, you will inherit the earth, etc. The only one that says you shall be sons of God is the peacemaker beatitude. And do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This is Jesus teaching us about nonviolence. Okay? I'm going to read to you some, uh, a little bit from this sermon that I. Um, rift off of on Sunday. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Men must see that force begets force, that hate begets hate, that toughness begets toughness, and it is always a descending spiral ultimately ending in destruction for all and everybody. Somebody must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe. And you do that by love. Okay? 
So let's talk about him for just a minute. Here is a man. The reality of his cultural moment is that the world in which he lives was built by people who hate him for no other reason than the color of his skin. The authorities under which he operates have one agenda, and that agenda is to, you, to, to steal from him and the people that he loves and is connected to in order to enrich themselves. That's been their agenda for hundreds of years. Before this, they were able to do that. Okay, Before this, they were able to do that uh, through slavery so that literally everything, the work of their hands, everything that they did, their entire lives, all of it was stolen from them and given to, to their masters, right? That's how it looked before this, 100 years before this. Okay, but now we're 100 years later. Slavery has indeed been abolished. Yay, great, hallelujah, praise the Lord, that's awesome. But the same people who profited for 200 years from slavery have now set up the system again to do the same thing, except not via slavery, via what at the time were called Jim Crow laws. Okay? And so they set it up so that no black person had any possibility of doing well, had any possibility of, of exerting any kind of power, and any time they, they succeeded, it ended up being a success for the white people who were in charge. That is how things worked. Okay? That was, that was how the culture he lived in existed. And Dr. King believed, truth believed with all of his heart, that it was his job to speak out against that system. Now, anybody that lived under a system like that, which, by the way, that system is not completely gone, just saying, it's just now we do it culturally rather than legally, although there's some legal things, too, that we do, but it's a whole different that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> uh, we're not ready for that. So, <laughs> all right. Anybody who lives under that system is going to hate the system and probably hate the people who, in, who create and enforce that system that is oppressing them. It's just the natural response of human beings to being oppressed is they hate their oppressor. And here is a man a well-educated, intelligent, incredible individual who has been called by God to speak out against this system. But he refuses to hate his oppressor. He says, I'm not, I refuse to become them in order to defeat them. I will win the way Jesus won through the path of self-sacrifice, the path of nonviolence, the path of love, I will love them and speak the truth at the same time. That's why, and, and not only that, but I'm going to teach the people who would follow me to do the same, to step into Christ's place, 
to set to do as Jesus did, to speak truth to power, not in not in a place of rebellion and anger and hatred and demanding my rights. You can't do this to me. No, what they're gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna love them enough to say the system we live in is hurting you and me. It's got to die. I'm gonna read you another thing from that from that sermon. He says, another way that you love your enemy is this. When the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not do it. That is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional something. Love is creative understanding goodwill for all men. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love of its great beauty and power you seek only to defeat evil systems and individuals who happen to be caught up in that system you love but you seek to defeat the system why because the system is destroying them it's not just destroying you it's destroying you more than it's destroying them but it's also destroying them we're in a moment right now, culturally, where we're doing a lot of talking about toxic masculinity. Are you with me, everybody? Are you on the same page? Do we know what toxic masculinity is? If the answer is no, we can spend some time with that. Um, I mean, I don't know what that is. That's good. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Okay? Let's spend some time talking about toxic masculinity. There has been a picture painted in our culture of what masculinity looks like, what it means to be a man, right? And amongst a lot of things, one of the things that it has done, and this, is, uh, this has been around a long time and it crosses many cultures, but our culture specifically, <laughs> is that men believe that oppressive power is a part of what it means to be a man. Okay? That men believe that aggression is at the core of masculinity. That, that they wouldn't ever say the words oppression is a part of masculinity, but that's what they mean. Domination. Being stronger and rougher and tougher than the other guy. Putting women in your power and subverting femininity as if and giving no power to to femininity because it's a threat to masculinity that's what toxic masculinity is okay it is uh harvey weinstein okay everybody familiar with that name harvey weinstein probably very very likely the most powerful producer in hollywood Huge names, huge movies, huge money for a long, long time. And now there's been somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 different women who have come forward and said, Harvey Weinstein told me if I would perform sexual acts on him that he would make me a big star. And so I did it. Okay. 
that is a prime example of toxic masculinity because there's this thing there's this uh i'm, I'm trying really 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 hard not to mention specific people okay. there's this thing that that men have done for years and that is they leverage their cultural physical and emotional power to control women sexually okay. and our culture has applauded them and rewarded them. Think about strip clubs. I mean, don't, but do. Okay? You have women who have ceased to be human beings. All they are, are they're objects on a stage who exist for my sexual gratification. And one of the things that they do, I've never been to a strip club, but my understanding is that, you know, you, that, that the stripper will come over and you'll give, them, you'll give them money, whatever, et cetera. You put money, you know, places and whatever, okay? Because do you see what that is? Do you see that that's, here's me, powerful man, I've got money and resource, Shake your moneymaker at me, honey, and I'm going to give you a little bit of it. Do you see what that is? Do you see how that works? Okay? In our culture, toxic masculinity, and right now, there's this movement going on in the last couple of years where women are like, uh, we're not going to put up with this bullcrap anymore. Okay? Uh, we're going to call people on it. And we're not going to apologize for saying what you have done to me and to all of these other people is not okay. And it's time that it's over. And I say, yeah, that's awesome. Let's put an end to this ugly, horrifying thing called toxic masculinity. And here's why. It's not just hurting women. And it is hurting women. It's hurting women everywhere. It's hurt women everywhere. It's a disgusting, horrifying thing that men have done to women. But men should be all in for the destruction of toxic masculinity because it's not just toxic for them, it's toxic for you. It makes you a horrible person. It rewards you for being less than human and for looking at human beings and considering them less than human. It makes you think, that in order to be a man, I have to be someone who doesn't see female bodies as human beings. We love to talk about the abortion issue. It's everybody's favorite, least favorite thing to talk about. Right? Okay. This is yet another thing that can be put at the altar of toxic masculinity because women are saying my body my choice right the only most of the reason that they're in the situation that they're in is because we have created an understanding of sexuality which is disgusting and born of this toxic masculinity that I'm talking about where what men are looking for out of a relationship with a woman is a sexual encounter 
and not a connection with another human being. Women understand that in order to have a relationship with a man, they're going to have to be sexually active because that's what he expects. I'm not saying women don't have sexual drives and don't want to be sexually active because I know that they do. When a young person would be embarrassed to tell his friends that he has not had sex with anyone, that is a toxic culture. That's a toxic culture because nobody's, nobody's saying <laughs> that, that it's just that you had sex, quote unquote, that that's what anybody cares about. It, nobody cares about the human beings involved in this encounter, which happened, and how that encounter made it, them feel and how that encounter affected them emotionally and spiritually and intellectually. Nobody cares about that. It's just like, you dog, you had sex, blah, blah, blah. It's disgusting. Now, why do I even bring it up? I bring it up because we have to understand as men, here's the thing is as sex, as toxic masculinity has been under attack, there have been a whole lot of men who have been, who have felt threatened by the attack on toxic masculinity because they feel like masculinity itself is under attack, which means that they equate, it just means that they have completely bought in with this toxic picture of what it means to be a man. Well, that's what it means to be a man. No, it isn't. That's not what it means to be a man. Maleness, masculinity has nothing to do with <laughs> oppressing a woman sexually. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. There are a lot of beautiful things that we can name that the Bible talks about, which, are, which kind of create what we would call true masculinity and what it really means to be a man. One of them is servanthood. And maybe we should have that discussion sometime. I don't have time for that discussion today, but. We should applaud the destruction of toxic masculinity because it's not just bad for women, it's bad for everyone all the time. But you don't do it through hatred and anger. You do it through love. The way the world gets changed for the better is love. That's how it works. And what a peacemaker does, a peacemaker says, like Jesus did, I love my enemies too much to kill them. I would rather die for them than kill my enemies. And so they put themselves in the place of danger so that the people coming behind them, both enemy and friend, can see a breakthrough of change and difference. Okay? What Dr. King and his generation did together was they said, we will be the ones who get beaten up by the police. We will get, be the ones that get hit with the high-powered hoses. We will be the ones that have the dogs come down on us. We will not respond violently. We will sit and be silent, but we, and we will refuse to allow this culture to continue 
but we will not do violence against those who have created and sustained this culture. We will just refuse to cooperate. And yes, it means that we're going to be killed, and Dr. King was, and yes, it means that we're going to have violence done against us, but we would rather that violence be done against us in this moment than this system continue to live unchecked and unbroken which is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is the one who said, I could imagine what would have happened if Jesus had raised up an army and instead of Jesus the Messiah, he became Jesus the Great. Imagine an army whose leader can raise people from the dead. You're not winning against them. As soon as they're dead, Jesus is just like, And now not only are they alive again, but they're ticked off because you killed them. What if Jesus had done it that way? Could Jesus have conquered the Roman, the Roman Empire? Heck yeah, he could. Could Jesus have destroyed every empire on the planet? Absolutely. He could have covered the earth with his kingdom. But is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus looked Pontius Pilate in the eyes and he said, if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. What did he mean when he said that? What did he mean? When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, what did he mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you, I grew up thinking that when Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world, what he meant was that his kingdom was a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. And so he wasn't looking for earthly conquest. Wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I did not understand that correctly. When Jesus looked Pontius Pilate in the eyes and said to him, my kingdom's not of this world, what he was saying is, my kingdom can't behave like your kingdom behaves. My kingdom can't take up the pattern of this kingdom. My kingdom can't be what this kingdom is because hate begets hate, violence begets violence. I can't continue the cycle that's already at work in the world. I will not have been a savior of the world if I do that. I will have made the world worse. If Jesus just became another dude on a horse, there's my, my, one of my favorite preachers, this guy named Brian Zahn, and he talks, he has a chapter in one of his books that says there's always some dude on a horse. And he's talking about every town you go into, right, in the middle of the town square, Fort Wayne, Indiana included, there's going to be some military general on a horse with a sword raised, right? If Jesus had become just another dude on a horse, just another conqueror, just another person who came through and through strength of arms once again defeated the enemy through violent means, he will not be any different than the kings that already existed, not in essence, not in reality. And you might say, well, he would have been so much better king than Caesar ever would have been. And you're absolutely right. But the, the foundation of his authority would be fear instead of love. A kingdom 
that is founded upon self-sacrificing love is radically different than a kingdom that is founded upon obey me or I'm going to punch you. And it creates different, a different person. Jesus was releasing into the world new creation, a new kind of existence, a new kind of world, a world where the most powerful thing is a person who loved not their life unto death, but gave up his life for the sake of everyone else. A person who instead of standing and fighting became the true peacemaker, the one who said, I am not, I am ending the divisions. I'm ending the fights. I'm ending the accusation. I will be the one on whom all the blame of the world rests. And I'm going to die so that all blame can die and you can learn to see each other again. Jesus became the final sacrificial victim. Are you with me? This is what we do, right? This is what we do. When we have a problem, we blame our problem on someone other than ourselves, then we persecute that person, and now we fix our problem. Yay! Don't we do that? That's what Hitler did. He was very popular, super popular. He said, all of your problems, Germany, are those Jewish people. <laughs> and Germany was like, yeah, that wasn't our fault after all. Kill the Jewish people! That's what they did, is it not? Because that's what we do. We find somebody to put our problems on. All of our problems were caused by those sneaky Mexicans that are trying to come up across the southern border. Did I just get political? Oops. Yeah. So then, in this instance, I don't know, it just made me wonder. I don't know if you heard about it, but the one church where there was someone that came in with a gun, in this instance, would the retaliation of that be the opposite of what this verse is saying? Yeah, I'm, I am so not okay with what happened there for two reasons, okay? One, a guy with a gun came in and a guy with a gun killed him. Have we fixed anything? And two, now, everybody and their brother that's always been saying over and over again, the reason I carry a gun is to protect the innocent. Now they've got something to point back on and say, see, see, it works. When the reality is that statistically, you're 80% more likely to have a gun fatality in your home, not because somebody, some bad person came into your home with a gun, but because your gun was mishandled and somebody got shot or somebody wanted to commit suicide, so they did using your gun. That's, that's the reality of gun ownership. I, I know, I know, I probably, there, it's entirely possible that, uh, that, that now no one in this room can listen to me because I just spoke against one of the idols of our culture, which is gun ownership. Let's just bow down before the mighty gun. Let's just worship this, this metal phallus. Anyway. I get angry. I get upset when Christians think that it's Christ-like to carry a weapon that kills people. Because it's not. 
period. If you own guns, God bless you. If you have a conceal and carry, whatever, that's between you and Jesus. I'm not, I'm not judging you personally, but you, if you haven't prayed about it, then I have a problem with that. Have you talked to Jesus about this? Because I'll tell you right now, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he wasn't talking about a cult peacemaker. Right? All right? And for someone to name a gun, peacemaker is the opposite of what Jesus was talking about. All right? That is, Jesus was talking about the people who would say, I will die to buy your peace. That is what he was talking about. He was talking about what he was going to go and do. He was going to go and die to buy our peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, said Isaiah. We, he knew what he meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He meant, blessed are those who are willing to pay the price for the peace of another. That's what a peacemaker does. That's what Jesus did. Peacemakers don't threaten people into different behavior. They love people into it. And they pay the price for them to get there. What? Uh, I'm not trying to go into the political thing, but um, there is. Uh, so I've already attacked like thing. two of the pillars of the Republican Party. Let's keep going. No, I saw this thing um, like about a month or two ago. There was this church shooting in Texas, and these carriers killed them. Yeah. Would they be in the wrong for obviously like? In my humble opinion, yeah. yes. But they were going to the store and blame the church. I know. I know. I know. I mean, yeah, they would technically be in the wrong, but... I just, I want to believe that there was a better way to stop this person than killing them. Yeah. I get it. We live in a broken world, and I'm, I'm not saying I want all of our cops to be disarmed. I'm not saying that, because I don't want to see innocent people hurt. I really don't. I just have a problem when that's the only thing you're doing. Because here's my question. Was that guy who carried that gun to church that morning and quote-unquote <laughs> saved people's lives? <sighs> Father, forgive me for my bitterness and my self-righteousness. Perpetuating a system in which we consider violence to be an answer. That's my problem. Did he also go and like volunteer at a place where they were doing counseling for people who had anger issues? And I don't know what's going on with this guy who came in with the gun. I don't know the whole backstory of this person. And I'm not saying that person isn't evil. Of course they are. And for any person to kill another human being is not okay. Okay? I don't know what his backstory is, but I do know that most of these people that have been involved in these kind of shootings have seriously broken histories. The answer is not to kill them before they kill other people. The answer is to fix their brokenness. And I don't know if this man or this church where this guy went in and began shooting people were involved in things that would attempt, that would try, that would reach out, that would, that would try and woo people out of the place where they would be so dysfunctional that they would come into a church and kill people. I don't know. But I don't think you can just carry a gun and say, I'm protecting people. That's not enough. 
Does that make sense? And that's not what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah? So then, I mean, I don't care either way. Uh, I'm going to try to say this, so I'm not like trying to get political. But like, my question is, um, so is it, is, are you mainly against the uh, human on human violence or like let's say that the sense of hunting uh, using a gun to I, take down an animal. I am not a vegetarian. Okay. Sometimes I think I should be, but that's more because of because of the evils of industrial farming than it is because of killing an animal. I mean, God sanctioned the eating of meat after the flood. I don't. I. Uh, I I do have a problem with if we think it's okay to be unkind to anything, including an animal, then we're broken. Well, I, I, I mean, like in a sense of like, because there's ways to hunt that are just not, that are not. Cool. The reality is, I know that hunting is a major part of con conservation, and especially yeah. in the United States of America. My dad hunts. I've hunted my whole life. I, I get it. I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I don't have a problem with guns. Period. They're an object. Yeah. I have a problem with a system that says that violence is an answer to anything. Okay. That's my problem. Not guns themselves. I could care less. It's a piece of metal. I don't blame a piece of metal for things human beings do. My problem is a system that says that violence is an answer, that violence is the only way to confront evil. That's my problem. Which is why I had such a problem with Avengers Endgame. We've talked about that in here, haven't we? Okay. In order to defeat Thanos, I must become Thanos. That's the uh, that's so wrong on so many levels. I don't even know. I was so mad at the end of that movie. I was like, no! No, 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 no. And they were trying to put it off, and I get, you know, whatever. Tony Stark sacrificed himself. Sure, okay, right. But he also committed <laughs> genocide. So, I'm, you know, that's okay now. That's not peacemaking, is what I'm trying to say. That's where I'm at. Okay. Anybody else got any questions? I'm kind of just like, I'm still thinking about how, talking about like the people like want to carry guns and the idea of protecting people. Yeah. However, I don't think, at least many of the people I know like that are not really concerned about trying to fix the problem of why people want Great. to kill people. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's just like, I'm just thinking about how like in a lot of Christian culture, yeah. we're okay with, we'll fix that problem when they are acting on what they're doing, but we don't want to go stop them from ever doing it. Right, exactly. And that's my issue. That's what I'm thinking about. When he, whenever 
someone ceases to be a human being in our eyes, we've made a mistake. Okay? When you think of a person with a gun as basically just a gun with legs, okay, and it's no longer a human, then we've made a mistake. Does that make sense? And, and anytime I hear anybody talking to me about security and keeping us safe, okay, we just, you know, uh, uh, we just took out this guy in Iran, right? Okay, President Trump ordered for him to be assassinated via drone strike, okay? Um, and everybody, yay, way to go, President Trump, great job, woo, way to go, let's keep killing people. All right, do you think Jesus was applauding at this person's death? I remember, I'll never forget when, uh, when, when the news came out that Osama bin Laden had been killed by the SEAL, okay? And everybody and their brother was celebrating. I know people who had parties celebrating the death of this man. Was this man evil? Yes. Has this man killed many, many people and incited other people to kill many, many people? Yes. Did, did, if anybody deserved to be killed, is it probably this guy? I don't get to say that. And do I think Jesus was okay with this man's death? No, I do not. No, I do not. No, I do not. Nobody in heaven was applauding his death. Nobody. Because what it was, was another soul lost. To the power of sin. That's what it was. Now, did I want him to be able to continue on and happily killing people? Of course I did not. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be excited about, the, about our country choosing to assassinate someone. Not okay with it. And before you ask, no, I'm not okay with capital punishment either. And I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about that because that's a whole other thing. What? You guys are getting me in trouble today. <laughs> Anytime we move someone out of the category of human and put them in another category, we've made a mistake. That's what I'm trying to say, including murderers. Do I want them to be able to run wild and kill whoever they want? Of course, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anyone to die, including this person who has killed other people. And I don't think that capital punishment is a deterrent. Never has been, never will be. When we solve violence using violence, we are inciting violence. We are continuing the cycle of violence forward. If you don't think it's true, I want you to think about the way things are in the Middle East right now. Because the reason the way things, the reason that that whole area of the world is out to kill as many Americans as possible is because we walked in there and just started killing people randomly because a very small group of people who had one very specific set of beliefs decided to hijack some airplanes and fly them into a couple of our buildings, which is one of the worst. Th 
uh, things anybody's ever done. It was horrifying. It was terrible. It was, and I'm not, not saying it didn't deserve a response. What I am saying is that should have been a wake-up call. It should have been a wake-up call for this nation. Not that, all right, put up the walls. Take down everybody's rights. Let's make things. It should have been a wake-up call to this nation that maybe we've done some things that would make us someone's enemy. Maybe we should think about the way we're operating in the world. Maybe, maybe we should be out there speaking to people. Maybe we shouldn't be wielding our wealth and power so arrogantly as we are. Maybe we should think that there needs to be a change in the way that this country operates. Because if they hate us that much, now there's some people that just have random hatred and there's nothing that they, I, I get that, I understand that, but I think, oh man, how, this is the problem is that nuance, do you know what nuance is? Okay. When something is nuanced, it means that it's, it's complicated. That there's a lot to say that I can't say it in one sentence. I can't say it in one paragraph. It's going to take me an entire book to say it because it's not simple. And nothing in the world is simple and nothing here is simple. None of this is simple. This is nuanced and it's difficult and it's hard. And the problem is our world, <laughs> our, our Twitter-shaped world doesn't have time or energy for nuance doesn't have time or energy for wisdom, doesn't have time or energy to say this person is right and this person is right, even though they disagree on almost everything. We didn't make the world better after 9-11. We made it worse. We had an opportunity to make things better, and we decided to do the opposite. We responded in the same spirit with which those people flew airplanes into our buildings. And we became the mass murderers then. In the name of keeping ourselves safe. I honor and support and love our troops all day long. I have good friends who are in the military, etc. And, and I say, Lord, bless them, keep them safe. But I have a problem with a country that spends something like a thousand times more on weapons than we do on taking care of poor people. When we balk at the possibility of giving everyone in this country the ability to have health care and housing and food because it's going to be too expensive. But when we will pay a ridiculous amount of money for a new airplane. It's not okay. And I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I find it difficult voting in every election because I really hate both sides. I shouldn't say hate, but I don't want to vote for either one of these people. 
because neither one of them are, can, they're not walking. The left-right spectrum is, is, is not the spectrum I'm on. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, which means that I hold sacred the human life in the womb, but I also hold sacred that life once it's out of the womb. Republicans will fight all day long to protect a baby before it's born, but then they'll fight all day long not to give any money to that baby once it's born. That kills me. The Democrats will fight all day long to give the woman the opportunity to end her pregnancy and end a human life. And then they will turn around and fight all day long to protect human life once it's born makes no sense to me whatsoever. I'm truly pro-life, and that means before and after birth. And before and after they've committed a murder. <laughs> I feel very exposed right now. I'm going to get a call from Nathan. Hey, you don't need to come back. Just... You're trying to turn all of our kids into liberals. and <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a liberal. I'm much more conservative than... Anyway, Lord Jesus, help us all. <laughs> what do you think, guys? It's for sure going to be. Like, for me, honestly, like, I don't want to kill anybody. I, I don't like people dying. But at the same time, I want to protect it, but... I can definitely see your like side of like why guns are bad and like they're not really bad, but like no guns aren't bad. People carrying them like they're carried to kill and they're carried to defend and protect. But it's at one point they're gonna kill people because oh they're, they deserve to die. Whenever like ultimately it should be they deserve to know Jesus yeah. and we need to put the weapons down. But how are we ever gonna get there if? You know, the world is so broken now. I mean, it's just... I saw a, I saw a video yesterday by... Uh, it was of, of uh, Cory Booker. He's a Democratic candidate for president. Also a lover of Jesus. You can be a Democrat and love Jesus at the same time. That is possible. There you go. He's a senator. He's from New Jersey. And he... Uh, and. He talked about this moment where there was a young African-American man who was killed in the town where he was mayor, killed in gang violence. And he, walked, and he went to the funeral, and he said he had to run out of the funeral before it was over. He said, I couldn't even stay. And he said he went back to his office, and he sat on his couch, and he wept. And he said, and the reason I wept was because as a community, we were there for him in his death, but we weren't there for him in his life. And when he said that, then I wept. Because that's where we are. That's what we do. We don't see people for the beautiful, complex, amazing gifts that they are from God. We don't look into people's eyes and recognize that here is something truly precious and do what we can to save the individual, every individual. When I say save, I'm not just talking about getting them to raise their hand at an altar call. I'm talking about 
saving them from bad ideas that are destroying their lives and teaching them value systems that are going to kill them over time. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he was not talking about something abstract, something, you know, have, have good, good heart flutters towards your neighbor. No, that's not. Jesus said, love your neighbor. He said, love your enemies and pray for those for, who persecute you. And then he went to the cross and showed us what it looks like and showed us what it costs. That's what he did. That's how he loved us. He showed us by healing sick people, by setting demonic people free, by crossing boundaries into cultures that were hated by the race, you know, in the in the race war of his time. When he goes to submit to uh, Samaria and preaches to uh, a Samaritan woman that even the Samaritans thought was not, you know, somebody you should hang out with. Okay, here's this woman who, you know, she's had five husbands and now she's with a guy who is someone else's husband and Jesus meets her face to face and he looks her in the eye and says there's more to life than this and you know it and I want to see things change for you and then but what we don't get it is one she was a Samaritan and and the the Jews of Jesus time had deep and abiding generational hatred for all Samaritans they felt like they had really good reasons to hate Samaritans. They hated Samaritans even more than they hated Gentiles. Believe that. That's crazy. Okay? Because they hated Gentiles quite a bit. Two, she's a woman. And rabbis don't talk to women. Women aren't allowed to come and listen to the rabbi. That's not okay. And here's Jesus in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a woman. How dare he? Three, she's a woman of ill repute. She's a woman, she's a floozy. Everybody knows she sleeps with whatever moves that she's a horrible person, that she is sexually immoral. So not only is she's a Samaritan, she's a woman, and she's a woman of ill repute at the same time. What are you doing talking to her, Jesus? The disciples came back and they were like, whoa. Jesus says, my reputation can die as long as this woman can live. Jesus, the one human being who never sinned in his entire life, is pronounced guilty by the government under which he operates, the government that he told his disciples not to rebel against. And then he is being, as they are nailing him to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is what peacemaking looks like, folks. This is what love looks like, folks. It is looking beyond what people have done to you, what people have done to themselves, and what people are doing to the world, and seeing that they are people, and recognizing in them the image of God, recognizing in them true worth and value, and honoring their worth and value with your own worth and value. That's what peacemaking looks like. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus still does in and through us. Are you with me?
So when I say, I'm not okay with Christians carrying guns, that's why would Jesus have carried a gun? I don't think anybody would say yes. And they love to find like two scriptures and then twist them completely out of context. Well, Jesus did tell his disciples to grab a sword. Yes, he did. You want to know why? So that when Peter actually used the sword, he could grab that sword from him and say, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, and then heal the servant who Jesus had attacked with the sword. The whole point of Peter having a sword was so that Jesus could disarm him. And then later, Christian fathers said when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed the entire Christian race after him, the entire Christian religion. That's why he said, when they said, well, we've got a sword, Jesus is like, it's enough. I just need one. Put it in Peter's hands, because I know what Peter's going to do, because he's Peter. And it's going to be okay, because I'm going to fix it. If that hadn't happened, Jesus wouldn't have been able to have that moment. It wasn't that Jesus was saying, that's right, boys, arm yourselves. That's not what Jesus was doing. I don't know why Jesus has a southern accent when he talks about guns, other than most of the people that I know that are deeply passionate about guns are, have that accent. But, so, so, anyway. Sorry. That's my prejudice showing through. It really is, truthfully. This is where I'm at today. We're, we're just a few minutes from being done. So what's going on? Any final questions, comments? When in just in Revelation where it talks about how Jesus comes wielding the sword. Yeah. How does that differ from what you're talking about now? <sighs> where is the sword that Jesus wields? It's not way out of his mouth. Yeah. Do you think that that's Jesus killing people? I know that that's the image that people like to have. I know, I know it's not. He's back, and this time he's ticked he's off. <laughs> he's back. Okay. <laughs> I have a huge problem. Now let me tell you this. The book of Revelation is likely the, the book of the Bible I've spent the most time studying. Very possibly. It's either Revelation, Romans, or the Song of Solomon. Those are the three books I've spent the most time with. Although Matthew is catching up. <laughs> I have a really hard time believing that the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount is then going to come at the end of the world and just melt everyone that stands against him. I just have a real hard time believing that. And when you look at the book of Revelation, the very first picture of the rulership of Jesus, go find it. They say, it's in, it's in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, There's a problem on the earth. Revelation verses four, verse chapter four, verse five. Chapter four and five. I'm not sure where it is, but the 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 very first picture of the rulership of Jesus 
How is he pictured? Um, four and verse two it said he's pictured um, his throne set in heaven with one seated on the throne. Oh, that's God the Father. Suffused in. Find Jesus. It's probably chapter five. Yeah, chapter five. In fact, it even says, now it's before the seven seals. It even says the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome, and then it shows him to us. Um, when you said it's before the, um, the seven it's not before the it's not before the the scroll it's after the scroll has been revealed oh. but it's before the seven seals begin to be opened because oh. this is when we find out that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll and we found out why he's worthy to open the scroll why is he worthy to open the scroll it's, is it this when it says in five to the one on the throne to the Lamb, the blessing, the honor, the glory, right. the strength for the age and after age. He appears as a lamb who has been slain. The foundation of Jesus' authority is his self-sacrificing love. Jesus defeats the enemy and saves the world by not by being a conqueror, but by being a slain lamb. By self-sacrificing love. That's how he won. That's the message of the book of Revelation. Not Jesus the conqueror. Not Jesus the warrior. Not Jesus the bad donkey. Okay? It's Jesus the slain lamb. Found it. The verse. <laughs> the lion, the tribe from the lion from tribe Judah, the root of David's tree, has conquered. He can open the scroll and can rip through the seven seals. Yeah. And then I saw. And so I looked there and surrounded by thrown animals and elders was a lamb slaughtered but standing tall. I can no longer stand with a, an eschatological picture of Christ denying everything he preached on that mountain in Galilee and taking out the sword and slaughtering half of mankind. I just can't. I can't. I can't do it. Sorry. I don't think Jesus changes. And Jesus taught us to love, and he taught us self-sacrificing love. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus was not talking about people that slaughter people. And I don't think Jesus is going to slaughter people either. That's just where I stand. I don't know how that all plays out. I don't know how it works. Telling you right now, the Left Behind books are going to have to be rewritten. Okay? But. The movies are going to have to be refilmed. Oh, God, please no. We've already had two Left Behind movies. They were both horrifyingly bad. Not, well, there was two that were the first book. You're talking about the Kirk Cameron. There was Kirk Cameron and then later Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Which they were like, Kirk Cameron's a bad actor. Let's see if we can find a worse actor. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Nicholas Cage is available. Yes! <laughs> All right, we're done, guys. Let me pray. <laughs>
Abba, Father, I want to learn how to love like you love. I want to learn to be a peacemaker. I want to learn I want to do what you did, Jesus. Teach us. Lord, I pray that the, the, the cultural narrative in which, by which we're surrounded, the air that we're all breathing, the water we all swim in, that exalts violence as an answer. I repent of it right now in the name of Jesus. Repent every way that I have colluded with coercive power. Father, I repent and I ask your forgiveness. And Lord, I ask you to teach me the way of self-sacrificing love. Teach me to put down the sword and pick up the cross, I ask in Jesus' name.